Hello, everyone. Welcome back to a new episode of the Sens Hour podcast, part of the Hockey Podcast Network. It's Shane alongside Derek. We have a very special guest in with us today, Steve Warren, uh, co-host uh, of the Steve Warren Project and uh, the Sens Man. Nation podcast. There you go. See, I have so much things going on in my mind. I'm just blanking on everything. <laughs> Before we get started, obviously, we uh, sponsored by Customized Sports. Check them out at CustomizeSports.com. Sends uh, our gets you 10% off your order, as well as DraftKings. Head on over to DraftKings uh, for their daily fantasy hockey. Select six players under the salary cap for your chance to win multiple different prizes and use promo code THPN to get a free chance at a million dollars. Again, THPN through when you sign up, new customers only, $5 minimum deposit. But with that being said, let's introduce our guest, Steve Warren. Thank you for joining us today. How are you doing? I'm very well, boys. How are things with you? Uh, pretty good. I mean, as good as it can be after our last game debacle. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was uh, that was uh, hot garbage. I don't think there's any way around that. And uh, that's one you just crumple up, throw over your shoulder and pretend it never happened. Yeah, that's definitely for sure. And we, you know, we'll jump right into it. You know, Matt Murray, he's been kind, he's been good. He hasn't been great early in the season. And then he has, he lays the egg. DJ Smith keeps him in the entire, uh, the entire game. I might, I might be mistaken on this, but I don't think we've seen who is starting tonight. I think it might be Murray, but I might be mistaken on that. Do you think it would, be wise to start Murray tonight, or do you think we should go for to Hogberg for tonight's game? Well, you're tied to this guy for the next four years at uh, what six million per. I think I would, if I'm coaching, I would throw him right back out there because um, you know you've you've basically invested so much in him, and you want him to get his game back. Uh, get that, like I was saying off the top, get that thrown away as soon as possible. Uh, you got to have some concerns though, but what you're seeing from Matt Murray right now because. Um, while his angles are good and he, he gets in front of a lot of pucks, I don't know if there's a vision issue, if he needs to head to the optometrist, those long shots from the point, man, he is dropping a lot of them. Like any of his handwork, catching the puck, um, when there's there doesn't seem to be anything in front of him, you can you can appreciate a goalie that you know gets a big rebound because there's big traffic and the puck pops out. But like he's got clear view of what's happening and he's dropping pucks and that's leading to rebounds and it's leading to goals. So obviously um, some stuff to work on, some rust there. And uh, if I'm D.J. Smith, I'd put him right back out there tonight. Yeah, and I think uh, Murray himself alluded to it just after the game, last game um, in the press conference. He said, you know, preferably he would like to get right back out there. He doesn't want to leave that kind of bad taste in everyone's mouth kind of lingering for a couple of games. But uh, 862 save percentage. So far this season, it's it's clearly not good enough. And it's exactly what you said, Steve. He's leaving those rebounds, juicy rebounds, sitting right there in the slot. And we've seen it a few times against Vancouver. Shane, you also pointed out um, that teams are targeting the high blocker side on Murray. Yeah, I mean, I think there's two goals that two noticeable goals that on breakaways, uh, one against Winnipeg and then one against Vancouver, where basically the ex similar play for both, where it was just, you know, mid to high blocker. And it kind of a concern on, on that. Usually his blocker is one of his stronger assets. Yeah, there's no question. That's uh, That's been a common refrain, though he's had a couple of really good games as well. I remember remarking on social media that it's been a long time since I've felt this comfortable about an Ottawa Senator goalie. You almost have to go back to 2017 and the Craig Anderson run in the playoffs. But um, 
yeah, there's no denying that there's been some struggles for Matt Murray. And you got to get him back in there, I think, too, because he's a brand new player on the team. He fancies himself as uh, a potential leader with this squad um, and try and empathize with the guy. He's brand new to the room. He's probably in his mind beating himself up, feeling like he let the guys down in the game in Vancouver, and he really wants an opportunity to get back in there and uh, and redeem what we saw the other night. So I think it's it's wise for Smith to get him back in. Here's a question regard like still with Murray. Is it our defense? You know, I know a lot of people on social media on Twitter is like, you know, it's hard to be a, a good goalie or an above average goalie with what a lot of people consider a below average top six. If we put a better top six in front of him, would we see a better Murray or is it kind of everything bunched up to one? Shane, I'd be, I'd be game to go down that road. If um, you know, if it was, high danger chances that he was getting beaten on what he's getting beaten on. Like I say, um, for the most part, I mean, he's, he's had some good games, like I say, but those, those shots from the point that he's just dropping right now, those are more of a concern um, because yeah, that you're right. The defense is subpar. There's no question. Um, I don't think anybody's playing like a top two right now on this team. And that includes Thomas Shabbat. He's had, he had a tough night in Vancouver as well. He's had some tough nights overall. Um, there's rust with this team. There's no question about that. And I look at this team as, Thomas Shabbat and I don't be, I mean I mean Zaita had a nice start but let's see how it goes from here on in. I feel like this team blue line wise is Thomas Shabbat and a lot of solid five six defensemen. Absolutely, and, and kind of sticking with the trend of you know two of the biggest names that the Senators brought in this offseason, Matt Murray and Evgeny Dadanov. And you know speaking of slow starts, what's going on right now, Steve? In your mind with Evgeny Dadanov, is it just finding someone to compliment him on the line, or is he really, really struggling here out of the gate? Well, let me just check the Sens roster here, Derek. I don't see Barkoff or Huberdo <laughs> in the Sens lineup anywhere here. Um, yeah, I think that's um, – he's a complimentary type of a player, I think. He's one of those guys that, if given the right line mates, he can really thrive. He doesn't have that here, obviously. Um, it, it's going to be kind of interesting to see – what he looks like now that uh, Nick Paul is going to be with him, um, potentially. I mean, this is all based on game day skates and Colin White potentially centering that line. Uh, and this is part of, you know, DJ Smith and the mad science. You know, there's a lot of criticism with DJ Smith and, and personnel decisions. But uh, in reality, he didn't have a preseason to mix and match lines in preseason games. So it's unfortunately had to bleed into the regular season. But to answer your question, Derek, about Dadnov. Um, I think he's uh, he's in a new environment. He's probably at the stage now where he's uh, you know really wanting to impress, as with the Matt Marie example, and uh, maybe squeezing the stick a little hard right now. He did get that one goal. It was I can't believe that uh, Hellebuck let in, but uh, it was um, at least a getting off the Schneid. And so hopefully he gets his act together because right now he is not delivering at a five million dollar a year rate. No, and I mean. Do you think it kind of weighs on the player that, you know, Matt Murray and and, and uh, Dadanoff, you know, they're here long-term or longish term, but they don't have any insurance that stops them from being exposed in the Seattle expansion draft uh, this uh, summer. So if they have a bad year or they have a, a below expectations year, that must be on their mind of like, hey, if I don't perform – there is nothing stopping the organization from exposing me to Seattle. Is that a little bit of an extra pressure or is that just a, should be a non-factor? 
I think it's a non-factor because I can't imagine that this early in the game, they're that in love with the city of Ottawa yet. And I can imagine that, you know, you go through the uh, right back to the seventies through the two thousands, when it comes to expansion teams, that would be something hanging over your head. Like, Ooh, I don't want to end up on an expansion team. Well, as we all know, the Vegas golden Knights, they've changed the game when it comes to defining what an expansion team means in the NHL. And, uh, Seattle sounds like they've got exactly the same expansion draft rules. So if that's hanging over my head, Seattle is a great city. Expansion draft rules could make them excellent right away. I don't feel like that's you know, something that's going to scare me into being a better hockey player for the Ottawa Senators, quite frankly. Steve, fans of this city are sensitive when it comes to coaching. I think that's uh, no secret. You know, We've been through many, many coaches, especially in the last few years. Um, DJ Smith has been under the gun to say the least a little bit here, just six games into the season. Is it decision-making? Is it, you know, is there something there? Is there something more to that? Or is that just fans being a little bit sensitive early on in the season? Well, I mean, you almost have to put the same glasses on when you watch a coach who is a young coach, as you do with some of the rookies who are out there playing, you wouldn't bury, you know, Who's a second? Let's say uh, a Drake Batherson. Hockey-wise, as a player, his experience level probably is right there with DJ Smith. DJ Smith, let's be honest, even he hasn't had a full season as an NHL head coach. I think he had 71 games. So do the math. There's 77 games. And so you almost have to watch DJ Smith with the same eyes that you do with the young players on the team. He's going to make mistakes. He's never been through something like this before. No coach has been through anything like this before with COVID. Like they're all creatures of habit in hockey. We all know that. A coach will want to come in, go through a proper preseason with all the conditioning and the physicals, you know, watch his guys, figure out who's going to be cut from this team, go through the exhibition games and find out which line mates work well together. This has thrown everything for all coaches, no matter how old they are, uh, into a complete state of disrepair. And for a guy like DJ Smith, who is basically still a rookie head coach, I think any level of patience that we're screaming about for the young players, you almost have to scream for it for the coach too. Yeah, yeah. well said. And, and I think the sorry, Shane, I, I just think the uh, you know the 310 days that the Senators had off prior to, I mean, also speaks to that because some of these teams they were in that bubble, they were in that playoff, and they have a lot of familiar faces on their team. The Senators brought in. A whole bunch of new, you know, veteran presence, veteran players, warm bodies, whatever you want to call them. You know, they brought in all these new guys and it, it may not work together immediately. And DJ is going through the motions, you know, trying to find the right combinations, as you said. Yeah. And I think you're in a situation where if you remove, because we all have emotions about our favorite teams. And so if you take the Ottawa Senators label off this group of men and just call them Team X, and then you basically analyze them with everything you just talked about, Derek. The 10 months off, half the roster has turned over. They've played six games together. Like they haven't before that played a game of any kind. We're not talking the Sens. We're just talking some random team. Would you really, really be burying them through six games? Um, there'll come a time, you know, you get to that 20, 25 game mark where you start, okay, now we have a more critical eye on things. But I think it'd be shocking for a team to be firing on all cylinders like so many fans seem to want them to be when they've only played six games. We're 12 days deep here, and uh, this club is – I mean, I, I don't know. Has there been a rustier club in NHL history with this much time off, this little time to gel, half the roster turned over? 
I don't, I don't want to sound like a Sens apologist here, fellas, but I've been, I covered the Sens since day one here, and I've seen a lot of Ottawa Senator teams get buried in the early going, and then they go on Hamburglar runs and things like that, and they turn things around. This is six games. Within two games, the whole narrative could completely change if they have a couple of good ones. Just be patient. Yeah, and I mean, it's kind of crazy how you mentioned that. I think if you go back to, you know, the Hamburger run or even Condon, the the fan base was kind of down on the team when those runs started, and it kind of changed the narrative throughout the runs where it was like, oh, okay, this team isn't as bad as we thought, or, you know, the team is better than it actually is. So this team, this fan, and I've said it before, where this fan base has runs with a lot of emotion. It's wears its heart on its sleeve, good and bad. And I will admit, you know, I've been one who's questioned DJ Smith. You know, there are some of the decisions where, you know, you you look at it and you're like, you probably could have done something better or like, why did you do this? And I think that's, you know, a fair thing to do as a fan. But asking for a coach to be fired six games into a season after, you know, a, a short in year and no training camp, thinking that someone will come in after, you know, two weeks quarantine with the same roster – I don't think that that's a realistic expectation for any fan from any team across any sport. It's short-term thinking. We all, you know, live and die in the short term. You know, I was watching the game in Vancouver and just kept getting away from them. It's four, one, it's five, one, it's six, one, it's seven, one. And I was just as a fan of the team. I mean, I've covered the team forever, but I always, I'm a local guy and I've always loved the senators. And so I'm, I'm emotionally just like mad at this guy and I'm mad at that guy. And I was like, get rid of that guy. And that's short-term thinking. And I think that's what fans get sort of lured into. And you have to think bigger picture. Like I say, there'll come a time of the season where things will be what they appear to be. But right now, it's to be expected that things are disjointed. And I don't care what you're talking about. The only concern I will have, because I don't want to sound pie in the sky all positive, the one concern I have is that um, I said this at the start of the year. I was on a number of podcasts and asked about it. I feel like you know that that veteran insulation feels like it's veteran overwhelmed. I think they brought in guys that weren't required at this stage of the rebuild, and that concerns me a little bit. Not that they haven't played well. My concern is, are they not that good a hockey player in, in a lot of cases? I, I worry that Pierre Dorian has brought in the wrong veterans. I think it's a good strategy to bring in veterans because we don't want all kids and then have them have a losing season because I don't think that's a great environment for kids to develop in. So it's good that they brought in some veterans, but uh, they brought in too many. And the, the question I think is, you know, are, are any of these guys any good? Um, so that's, that's where I'm at with it. And uh, in the meantime, I think patience is going to be a virtue for sense fans. And how patient should people be with Colin White? I mean, they signed Colin White to a huge extension. I mean, he was signed to a six year extension um, he's got five years left at 4.75 per, um, you know, at what point do we get concerned that Colin White isn't beating out guys like Artem Anisimov at this point in Anisimov's career? I'm concerned for sure about him. Um, I, I think DJ Smith, he, he doesn't want to lose hockey games. He, he, it behooves him to win hockey games. And he'd love to have a guy with his pedigree, with his contract in the lineup on a nightly basis. But the fact remains, like I say, DJ Smith wants to win hockey games. And unless something happened behind the scenes that we don't know about on a personal level between White and Smith, I got to think that Smith is making a decision based on the fact 
the Colin White hasn't been a very good hockey player for him so far in this season through training camp uh, and, and probably going back to last year as well. Um, and that's one guy where I do feel like that's beyond a, a six-game measure to the start of this year. That's something you can go back to last year. And ask yourself the question, guys, how many times over the last you know a year and a year and a half did you say to yourself, Colin White is a guy that must be in the lineup every night. He's that much of an impact player. And since that run he had where he had, I don't know, 40-some points playing with Kachuk and Mark Stone, I haven't really felt like that about that player. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty amazing what an elite winger like Mark Stone can do for somebody. And I mean, it kind of fooled, maybe fooled Pierre Dorian into thinking that, you know, there was a lot more there out of Colin White. And I'm not suggesting that, you know, maybe it can't be found because he's 23 years old. And, uh, you know, hopefully he can refine whatever he had in that first season. But uh, but I'm definitely concerned as well. And as you said, I, I haven't really noticed him when he's on the ice. Well, tell me, fellas, what does he do well right now? What What is it that – is he fast? Nah. Is he involved? Is he competitive? Is he physical? Is he finishing plays? Is he creating plays? I, I'm looking for something where I say, yes, that's a guy that's a part of this core. Financially, uh, he's uh, he's earmarked to be part of the core. But in terms of the eyeball test, I'm, I'm not sure that I have him in the core at the moment. But it's nice that he's getting back in the lineup. Uh, this is an experimental season. And uh, it's now time for Colin White to get going. If he wants to be a member of this core and uh, not be shipped out for a second rounder like Curtis Lazar was, uh, although I think that'll be a harder trade now with that contract, Lazar was an easy one. Um, he's going to have to get going. Yeah, I mean, for, for White, you asked like what he does very well. I don't think he does. Like, he does everything, in my opinion, you watch him play, especially at the end of last season. He had like, I think it was seven points or six points uh, in the last like 10 games uh, before the shutdown. It seemed like he finally got his feet underneath him. He was playing top six minutes and then the season just kind of abruptly ended and obviously an abbreviated camp probably hurt him because I think if you get him into a game, he probably shows that he deserves top six minutes and you can make the argument about Logan Brown as well. I think it's also kind of hard to judge White because he had he made plays, you know, with uh, Stutzla's first goal, you know, he kept the puck alive. He generated that. He kept that play alive for that goal. I mean, yes, a little bit of a bouncy puck, but I think if white given an opportunity in a top six role consistently without having to worry about if I make a mistake, I'm going to be dropped down the lineup with a, a player like Dadunov and Stutzla on his wings. You know, we should be talked about Spezza struggling when, you know, Alfredson got hurt and they lost Heatley. You know, the reason why they traded for Bobby Ryan was to give Spezza a scoring winger. So I think, you know, you put him with the, the high end players. I think Dadunov's a good complimentary player to white. Hopefully he can make the most of it tonight. If he's in, on that second line role. It's huge for him to get in there and get those minutes because one of the biggest things I think is he's having a crisis of confidence, whether, you know, and you and you and I seem to be on, on different pages a little bit on Colin white. And that's the great thing about hockey. Everybody's got an opinion. Everybody sees things different ways. Um, but I think we can agree that you're not going to do anything in any point in your Ottawa Senator career if you're in the press box or if you're on the fourth line playing with Paquette and Watson. That's just not going to happen for Colin White. He's just not that kind of player that's going to drive or drag these guys along offensively. He's got to be where he is right now, and this is a season for experimentation. Get him with some not just these guys, mess around with the concept, but because before you cut bait, 
you better be damn sure that he's not going to be, you know, Mika Zibanejad down the line. We all know at the time that Zibanejad was, you know, traded away from this team, honestly, I wasn't that upset about it. I thought of him in the same way I'm feeling about Colin White right now. Not involved enough. Love everything about him. First round pedigree, all that. However, I just don't see enough involvement. I don't think that guy's getting a playoff time when things get tough. I have a feeling Zibanejad will disappear on you. And, uh, man, we know what player, what kind of player he's become. We didn't give up on Nick Paul, and he's still here, and now he's getting top six minutes. That's the great thing about hockey. Everybody develops differently, and we'll see what Colin White can do now that he's got some decent line mates. He seems like a great guy, too. You hope for him. So I hate to sound like I'm burying the guy. I'm just really worried about that particular player. And, and getting away from some of the doom and gloom here, because it has been – a rocky start so we had to touch on you know all of the negatives but there have been some positives through the first few stages and you just mentioned him Nick Paul has he completely uh rejuvenated his game in the offseason does he look faster to you does he look better to you is he a top six player he is on this team for sure uh and I think he's been the most consistent player through the first six games in terms of that involvement level um, and honestly, guys, he's given me, and I hate to say this, I hate to put this level of ex- expectation and people think it's crazy, but he's given me that same vibe that Mark Stone used to give me when he seemed to come out of every battle in the corner with the puck. He just seems to have a heavier stick blade. Uh, we know he's got a great release, but yeah, the speed is there. And that's another guy I think that has had in the past a crisis of confidence from being yo-yoed up in the uh, from the NHL down to the minors or back to junior or whatever it was. He's been waived at least three times. So last year, something clicked. You think about that night where he was told to get a house. It was a neat moment where DJ Smith comes into the dressing room. Somewhere last year, something clicked. Maybe it's just a guy that's a little older. Suddenly you're playing with all these younger guys and you're one of the older guys. And maybe mentally you suddenly think, I really belong here. I'm I'm an NHL player. And then when that kicks in mentally, all the skills were then allowed to shine. I felt like last year... That had clicked when he was told to get a house. And I did expect um, a good season this year, though I didn't expect to see him elevate so quickly to top six minutes, which also might you know speak to what's going on with the other forwards as much as it is Nick Paul playing fantastic in the early going. I, I agree. I mean, Paul's been a pleasant surprise. And, you know, it shows that patience is a virtue. And, I mean, People were talking about how, you know, Brian Boucher probably, or yeah, Guy Boucher probably wasn't getting the most out of the young guys. Uh, and DJ Smith comes in first year. From my understanding, from what was reported last year, was that, you know, he told Nick Paul, like, hey, this is what you need to work on. Uh, we're sending you back down to the minors to work on it. You work on it, you'll be back up here. He went down there, did it, and now he's a full time NHLer. And it's the same thing with Batherson, I find. He knew what he had to work on. According to Ian Mendez, he looks like a completely different person than he was a year ago. So maybe DJ Smith is actually doing what he was brought in to do, and it just hasn't translated to in-game success yet, and only only time will tell before we get a clear picture on DJ being a, a player's coach. Yeah, and, and being a coach in the NHL or at any level, it's, uh, it's such a difficult process because it's so much to it. You know, he wants to obviously see Drake Batherson or Colin White or Nick Paul. He wants to see them all succeed because it's good for him as a coach, but – I mean, he wants to win hockey games now. We've got a volatile owner in the city of Ottawa, and he could go off at any time and take the guy out at the knees and bye-bye. So he wants to win hockey games, but he also wants to develop players. 
So it's a fine balance. And uh, yeah, I mean, Drake Batherson is another great example, Shane. That's a, that's a player that has all the skill in the world. The NHL and the American Hockey League, their histories are filled with guys who are, can't miss prospects, uh, guys who just ripped it up in the OHL or whatever. Uh, and, and for whatever reason, they want to get to that next level and they just can't. Maybe it's a mental thing, uh, but most of the time, uh, it, it, you know, they just, for whatever reason, they just can't get that next level. And that's the fascinating thing about evaluation and why Pierre Dorian's job and every GM job is very difficult because it's not cookie cutter. Every player is an individual. There's so many variables at play. And, uh, and, and that includes timelines, as Nick Paul is teaching us right now. The guy's a 2013 draft pick, and it's taken a long time for him to blossom. They were able to stay with him. Uh, thankfully, nobody claimed him off waivers. But uh, that's, that, that's why the whole process is very, very interesting to me. So sorry to interrupt. We just had a three-team trade involving the Sens, according to Frank Saravelli. Christian Yaros is heading to the San Jose Sharks. Trevor Carrick is heading to the Anaheim Ducks. And forward Jack uh, Kokopaka and a seventh-round pick in 2022 from the Sharks is heading to Ottawa. So, I mean, that kind of figures out where Yaros fits in Ottawa's long-term plans. Um, sorry, sorry, just I, I just saw the <laughs> uh, just saw the notification pop up on Twitter. Well, Yaros was a disappointing story because I think he was a guy that was tracking well to be a regular NHL player. Pierre Dorian told me on a number of occasions he loved the guy. I remember um, they do that fan fest every year, and they allow fans to go in and watch practice. And I remember watching Alex Formanton chipping a puck past him at the blue line and watching the unbelievable pace at which he was able to pivot and then retreat into his own zone. Such a, a good, fluid skater. And again, I think, I hate to think we're coming up with this uh, theme here, but again, a guy who didn't have the confidence to let all the tools shine. And uh, I don't think DJ Smith was ever a fan. Pierre Dorian loved the guy, but I don't think DJ Smith did. And if the coach doesn't have your back, then your time in any given market is going to be short-lived, unfortunately. And that's probably why the deal just went down. Yeah, and I mean, hey, if it gives, I know Balsers should be hopefully joining them at some point. Uh, if I don't know if he's in the AHL, I haven't heard anything. But hopefully he can kind of slot in and get a better chance cracking the top six in San Jose than he would in Ottawa with, you know, Bernard Docker coming up and as well as Thompson in, in the mix. So, you know, it's all a better opportunity and he'll probably have a better opportunity in San Jose than he will in Ottawa. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and you bring up Balsers. That was a, a real disappointment to see him leave the organization. And, and I get why Sens fans have a level of angst about that. You know, there's a, there's a guy you had to give up on waivers because you needed to keep, you know, look up and down the lineup, veteran A, B, C, D, or E, any one of which would probably have cleared waivers in a tidy fashion. So it was a disappointing one because there's a point of guy, point of game guy in the American Hockey League at the age of 23. You don't maybe know what you have there necessarily. And so it was unfortunate to see him go to San Jose. Um, with Christian Yaros, though, I think the die was cast. I think uh, if you decide DJ Smith is your head coach, it doesn't seem like uh, that those two are on the same page. And uh, before you leave us, Steve, we want to get your thoughts just on kind of the remainder of the season and what your expectations are for, you know, for the rest of this year. It's only six games in. Obviously, it's probably a little bit worse than uh, than we thought it would be uh, to start the year. 
and the Sens have dug themselves a little bit of a hole, but they are sitting 31st, uh, obviously the last three seasons, uh, 31st, 30th, 31st. So, uh, so it hasn't really gone well. Are you expecting them to be, you know, beyond that this season, or do you think we're in for another year uh, right at the bottom once again? I think that there might be some team that drops down, but yeah, I think bottom two positions in the North, uh, which by the way is uh, a, a damn good division. So that plays against the Sens on top of everything else. They're in the learning process, learning each other, getting on the same page. As chemistry comes, as the younger players get a little more seasoned and feel like, again, that confidence coming in and feel like they really belong, that they can thrive at this level, I think the team will obviously improve. I don't see them you know, continuing to whip along at a 300 win percentage like they have in the first six games. I think um, the, the the blue line could hardly be worse than they've been in the six games. I mean, everything across the board in the first six games, Matt Murray hasn't been good, the blue line hasn't been good, and they haven't been scoring enough. So everything, I think, is pretty much at a low point. So when you ask me what I expect moving forward, I expect slight improvements. I expect them to potentially get at a last place, but second last would be about as high as I'd be willing to see them go at this stage. Oh, I think you're on mute, Shane. I think, you know, that's fair. I think once the the dra- uh, trade deadline happens, we'll probably see some of these one-year veteran guys who, who are UFAs at the end of the year moved away. So probably a resurgence of young players. So probably just going to get sh- struggler. Like it's going to struggle near the end of the season. But overall, it should be worth it. Yeah, and the trade deadline is, uh, what, April, right? So instead of waiting six months, we got, what, three months to wait. So it's uh, it's going to be a very different-looking team anyway. So I wouldn't waste a lot of energy in freaking out about what's happening right now because it's going to look very different after deadline day in April. That's for sure. But thank you, Steve, for showing uh, coming on to the podcast. Hopefully we can have you on halfway through the year to continue to talk about what's going on. And uh, I'm assuming that you'll have, uh, you'll be watching the game tonight. Uh, you can, we'll be able to see what you think of what's going on on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. We'll talk tonight on Twitter. That'll be great. And uh, great show guys. I appreciate you having me on and uh, yeah, let's do it again. Uh, Mid season. That'd be great. Yeah. Thanks Steve. Thank see you guys. All right. And there was Steve Warren host of the uh, Steve Warren Project and Sens Nation podcast. It was a pleasure having him on. We'll be right back after this quick break from Skates and Plates podcast, part of the Hockey Podcast Network. Calling all Jets fans and foodies. What's going on, guys? I'm Brandon Rewicki, the host of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. Look, if you love Jets hockey, this is the place for you. In-depth breakdowns from every game, a deep dive into the big plays and moments from Winnipeg's season, and all the Jets talk you will not find anywhere else. We got it for you on Skates and Plates. Plus, if you love carbs and everything tasty, we jump into the world of food as well. Once a week, we also speak with a member of the local culinary scene to highlight their great stories and the great food they put out. So there it is. Hockey, Jets, food, drink, everything good in life it's right here on skates and plates on the hockey podcast network and we are back uh if you missed the first half hour we had steve warren on fantastic uh 
fantastic guests. Remember, we are part of Customized Sports. Definitely check out them out. Check customizedsports.com. 10% off when you use promo code SENSHOUR. And DraftKings, head on over uh, Daily Fantasy. Select your six, forward, six players under the salary cap. For new users, use your promo code THPN for a free chance at a million dollars. And on our first half hour was a fantastic talk. We had a mid-episode trade, which honestly I love. I, I love these mid-episode trades or mid-episode de- um, transactions that go down. Uh, we talked all, quite a bit about, you know, Murray and the team. But one thing that we, we kind of talked about that kind of uh, struck me a little bit with with Yaros and the situation going on in Ottawa is some of these prospects will be moved because DJ just doesn't see a fit. They'll either be moved or they'll allow it to be, you know, let go at the free, at you know, free agency. I don't think this is the end for some of these prospects being traded, especially with no guarantee of an AHL season. Yeah. And Yaros was one of those fringe guys, right? He wasn't going to be an NHL player. I think the Sens tried him on for a little bit and, uh, Steve Warren alluded to it just earlier that uh, maybe DJ Smith wasn't um, the biggest fan of Christian Yaros. Um, I'm a little disappointed, I'll be honest. I liked Christian Yaros. I thought uh, offensively he showed glimpses of what he could be. And then, of course, he plays with that edge and that physical game um, that I like defensively as well. But really, when you look at the long-term picture, he probably you know wasn't going to fit in anywhere. And there's a few other guys Shane, that uh, that quite frankly are on that same kind of fringe level that uh, the Senators could move to kind of make room for some other guys to get to the lineup quicker. A hundred percent, and it's going to be interesting to see what happens in um, in the coming months, right? And we didn't have a chance to, to talk to um, uh, Warren about you know Paquette and Watson and, and some of the moves that DJ has made in terms of the overall structure of the team. But he did mention that, you know, we probably brought in a little bit more guys than we might have had to. And if you hadn't had a chance to check out the, uh, the things that I posted on our Twitter uh, or Instagram, definitely go over. There is a, a huge disparity between the team that we have on the ice now versus a team that or one of the proposed teams or proposed roster moves that fans have been basically begging for since game two of the season. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, um, they've made, you know, some lineup changes. I think there's a lot of pressure right now on DJ Smith to win hockey games. Um, No question, you know, jumping out of the gate to a one, four and one start with no wins in their last five games is going to do that. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of roster changes, a lot of lineup changes early on here. But uh, one guy that's still in the lineup that you just mentioned is Cedric Paquette. And to me, he hasn't done enough to remain in the lineup. It is a little bit frustrating. Um, He was injured, I think, last game, which is the only reason he came out of the lineup in my mind. Um, He's definitely struck some, some of the right chords, I guess, early on with DJ Smith. And it's a bit of a mystery to me. Yeah. I mean, I think he gets the benefit of the doubt of not playing in last night's game or Monday's game because how can you judge someone based off of the entire, like of a performance of an entire team? You know, I think Murray played bad, but the entire team outside of the first line 
from what I saw, really didn't have that great of a game. And, you know, here's, here's a picture of the current roster based off cap. That is, we're, this is without the, the just, just under $5 million in buyout cap hit that we have on our books. We're looking at 65. We're basically 5.25 million dollars over the upper limit or the lower limit of the the cap hit. You know, you remove even if you remove Stefan, you you take Stefan out, we are under the cap mm. based off purely our roster. That is yes. so they're limited like, to what they can do. Yeah, like Okay, so you added the the almost five million. So you're at we're at seventy some. So yeah, you could technically remove Stefan and still be all right. But if you look at our current, like our, our just our roster, we are very limited. So I made a chance to look at the proposed roster. What people were saying, this is what I came up with. You know, Formanton and Schlappig are always obviously the two guys that are talked about the most. Branstroman and Subit. We are about almost just under a ten million flat below the lower limit <laughs> yeah so that's not going to work <laughs> you remove uh stefan anisimov uh who, who did i remove i remove stefan anisimov uh paquette yeah, Branson. logan brown as well so yeah. like i were i the five guys i were take, taken out were uh stefan anisimov and Paquette as on, in the forwards, and then Good Branson and Coburn on defense. They're eighteen billion dollars in cap hit taken out of our lineup. Yeah, that's uh, it's not going to fly. Unfortunately, they'll be way below the cap floor, so uh, it's not cap compliance. I mean, they just can't do it, and you know that speaks to why DJ is kind of forced to have some of these veteran players in the lineup. It's uh, it goes back to kind of Pierre Dorian's roster move, so which I mean, unfortunately, he had no choice but to do it because those were all additions, you know, that were necessary. Because if if we don't make those additions outside of Anisimov, so you could probably say we're at like fifty five mil, give or take, we're still about six six and a half million dollars under the cap floor. So yeah, okay, maybe you can add in, you know. Stefan, okay, cool. You've basically made it there. You add in Paquette and Coburn, you're good. You don't really need to bring in Good Branson. Good Branson was the first move, and then he was like, to be fair, like to give DJ and Smith, uh, DJ and Pierre some, like, not necessarily leeway, but to give in defense of them, you know, with our current structure, moves needed to be made. Or you could have just overpaid guys, but then fans would have been upset about that too. Kind of a no-win situation in my opinion. Yeah, they, I guess they were stuck between a rock and a hard place a little bit. I mean, you could definitely go back and look at some of the moves that they made or didn't make for that matter. I guess, you know, especially when it comes to Anthony Duclair, you're looking at, you know, what he signed in Florida and what he was potentially offered in Ottawa would have been around the $4 million mark. So, I mean, that's a... a positive cap hit in my mind especially if it was just for a year another year of seeing Duclair on the team I think they're missing that speed and skill that he did bring and I don't think uh, Galchenyuk has replaced it or he hasn't really been given the opportunity to with DJ Smith so far because I know we kind of pegged Galchenyuk before the season 
as someone that could potentially be that Duclair replacement, and it just really hasn't happened yet. Yeah, I 100% agree on that. And you know what? I was looking at it next season. Next season, we have 30 entering next season, we have $34 million in cap hit, and Brady Kachuk will most likely take up seven to nine million of it. Batherson needs a new deal. Brown needs a new deal. You can afford to overpay. You can overpay Batherson without people getting upset about it. You give Batherson a five-year deal at maybe, or a three-year deal at like three and a half million dollars, no one's going to be upset about that. Do you think unless, like, unless Batherson has an incredible season, do you think they're going to hesitate a little bit more just based on the contract that they offered Colin White? Or do you think, think he's so. a, a different different circumstance? I think if you like, here's the thing. I think if you Colin White was out coming off a good season last year, he dealt with injuries, he dealt with inconsistencies. This season, he's dealing with you know inconsistencies. That's been his biggest downside. Has been his inconsistent play. That is cha- that should be changeable and coachable. Hopefully, it happens. I would not be surprised, especially on a short term deal. We are we are no way in any way, shape, or form cap worrisome like i know d i know people are, you know Meldick will never pay up to the up to the max now you don't necessarily have to pay up to the max but if you hit that 75 range like 70 to 75 you're good most teams want to hit that threshold i don't see us being like issuing batherson a five-year a three-year deal at like three and a half that's just house money like you don't you're not losing anything offering him that deal considering that you know, you'll have uh, when that deal is over, you have Zaitsev off the books. You know, yeah, you might have to pay uh, Sanderson. Stutzel will be entering a first year of his second contract. Hopefully, you'll have Kachuk and Shabbat. Like you'll have Shabbat locked up. Like if you look, if you go into Cap Friendly and look up at Ottawa's, you know, cap for the next like four years, they're fine to offer Batherson a free, uh, an overpayment after one year. Yeah, no doubt. And I think, you know, he'll be one of the, the top players that they need to lock up, um, you know, next year. And Brady Kachuk, the contract talk has already begun, I think, among fans. And um, there's a little bit of hesitancy. There's a little bit of worry, I think, in the fan base when it comes to a Brady Kachuk contract extension. Are you anticipating a similar bridge contract that his brother signed? Yeah, because it makes the most sense for the player. The bridge caught like two different situations between the Kachuk brothers. Matthew Kachuk needed a contract on a cap strap team that couldn't offer him a long-term deal when he needed that contract. Ottawa can offer him that long-term deal with big money, but why sign a contract when you don't know the state of the league for the next two, three years? You know, if this was a regular year, I would I believe that if this was a regular year and last year ended like it would have we would have seen Kachuk sign an extension during the summer. I think that was the plan for both parties. With COVID, it kind of threw everything through a loop. If I'm Kachuk and if I'm Pierre, I would actually be looking at a three-year deal. It would push him until the end of his 25 season, or 24 season. Yeah, 24 season. You would still be an RFA. You have three years to look at you know, the landscape of the league. You have that cap space at the end of that three years to offer him a big, a big money contract and you have, and you can, you have player control. So the, you offer him a, if personally, if I'm Pierre, I'm going to his agent offering him a three year deal 
at $8.5 million. You know, we need the cap. Like, you're not going to hurt yourself by offering him that contract over the next three years. It's a three-year contract. He gets his money. And who knows? Because he got his money on a short-term deal like this, he might be willing to take less money on a long-term deal in three years if we can prove that we can be a consistent playoff team. Yeah, we're almost in a spot where the Senators have to prove to Brady Kachuk that they can be a contending team and and that they can put something around him for him to sign here long-term. So, I mean, for me as a fan, I want to see the longest term possible. I mean, especially a Sens fan, you're worried about, you know, losing your top players. Uh, I would be worried personally if he signed a three-year deal, and I know he he would expire as an RFA, but he'd be he'd be close to unrestricted closer to unrestricted free agency i think he'd have what two more seasons until he hit ufa after that deal expired yeah and i mean i would only worry if we signed him to like a three-year deal after that but like in my in my thinking is that hey if you can give him a three-year deal big money deal make the playoffs two to three of those years or all three of those years if he signs for an eight-year deal you're buying three more years of ufa status Instead of losing, instead of having to worry about Brady Kinchuk hitting hitting free agency at you know 30, 29, 30 years old, kind of in the middle of his you know Alex Pietrangelo kind of contract, and having to give him that kind of contract when he's that ill, like I rather commit to Brady Kachuk until he's thirty or until he's 33, 34, than have to commit to him until he's thirty and then recommit to him. Until he's like 37, when I can commit to him until he's 33, 34, where he's kind of in the middle of his down decline of his of his career, and where you can justifiably say, like, hey, like, you know, you're not worth you know seven, eight mil because of your age. Like, I'll give you a three-year deal for like five, but you can't you can justify not giving a 34-year-old a contract or a big money contract especially if he starts to decline. Absolutely. And, you know, the other guy you mentioned in there was Logan Brown. I think, you know, d- does he even make it to his contract extension in Ottawa? I don't know. Uh, and if he does, what does that extension look like in your mind? Yeah, it's probably going to be a, a one or two year deal. What two way contract, probably tapping out at like a, just over a million dollars in the NHL or not even, I, I honestly say, uh, you're probably looking at like a another ELC kind of money where it's like nine hundred thousand. Marcus Hogberg is making seven hundred thousand dollars as a backup in the NHL, according to Cat Friendly. That is ridiculous. Yeah, no, no doubt that. Like Timmy Stutzla on his ELC is making, making more than <laughs> Hogberg right now, according yeah, to Cat Friendly. That's a low number for sure for uh, Hogberg, who's. Arguably, he might be their best goalie this year. I don't know. We'll have to see how the rest of the year plays out. But uh, we definitely have some concerns when it comes to the goaltending situation in Ottawa already. (laughs) Yeah, and I mean, hey, Matt, I understand the situation in Ottawa isn't great. Matt Murray has been decent. He had one bad game. It happens to every goalie, you know. Uh, Patrick Wall, you know, forced his way to Montreal. And that's the thing, is that if you realistically look at a lot of these issues... You know, Winnipeg, for example, you know, they've, they had two of their top 10 picks 
since they went back to Winnipeg, basically demand out of Ottawa or demand out of Winnipeg. You know, Roslovic, another for I believe was another late first round pick. He made it adamant that he did not want to be there. Uh, you have the the whole Dustin uh, by Buffaloan situation. Um, last season you have the reports that line or wheeler and and shifley bullied line basically bullied line like things that happen in ottawa seem to happen to every other organization it just doesn't get talked about as much because you know we're, we're stuck between toronto and montreal and i think that's kind of why it gets blown out of proportion is because we're stuck between the two and we're looked at as the younger brother of those two organizations yeah, and I think, you know, with Winnipeg, to an extent, they're another city that players that are making millions of dollars don't necessarily want to live in. I mean, you know, th- these guys, we, we've got to understand that they have families and they have lives and, you know, their their families and significant others probably would prefer not, you know, spending the majority of their time in the minus 35 weather. Yeah, and I mean, I, I, I totally understand why people don't want to live in Winnipeg. I get it. Same, like, there's some people who don't want to live in Ottawa because of the same reasons. But I think we need to, as sense fans, we need to relax with everything. We are like, we are our own worst enemy most of the time. Yeah, we, we definitely can get into our own heads, especially, you know, it's early on in the season. And uh, as we talked about earlier, people are writing off DJ Smith and, I've been openly critical myself of DJ Smith, but uh, by no means am I, you know, calling for his head at this time or suggesting that he gets fired. Um, more so, you know, analyzing and, and criticizing some of the moves that he's made uh, when it comes to the younger players and, and veteran players, putting some veteran players in positions that maybe they shouldn't be in. But uh, but he is learning about this team and learning about the players. So. That's one example. And then, you know, as we're talking about contracts, extensions and situations, uh, that's another area where Sens fans definitely um, can talk themselves off a cliff a little bit. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I, like, I understand, you know, it started with Heatley. And that is really what it happened with. It started with, it started with Yashin, really. Like Yashin was the big one. Uh, we got Spezza and Chair for it. We gave, you know, there was reports that, you know, Chair wanted out of Ottawa because he, it didn't like ownership and whatnot. I don't know how, how true that is. I don't know the report rumors of him not getting along with Alfredson. You know, you have the Heatley debacle where Corey Cluston basically runs Heatley out of town. And that starts a, a negative uh, side effect of, you know, Alfredson leaving, Fisher being traded, uh, Redden being traded. And then, you know, Spets asked for a trade. And it just seems like Ottawa just keeps getting beat down. But realistically, this just seems like a sport. Like players finishing their career in, in one team does not happen anymore. Yeah, uh, not very often. That's for sure. I mean, this is even worse in basketball when players are, you know, they, they have a lot more control of where they go, and they're just like picking their destinations and saying, "I'm going here, and I'm going to stack up, you know, this team and and play with them because I want to play with my friends." It, it's not necessarily the case in the NHL. They don't have as much say. And uh, yeah, I think we do get into our heads a little bit too much in Ottawa thinking that, you know, we're going to lose all our star players and we do need to kind of relax when it comes to Brady Kachuk because the team does have, um, you know, the first several years of his, uh, of his career under control as an RFA. So 
they do have a lot more say uh, as to you know where he goes and and what that contract looks like. Yeah, I mean, here here's a question: Name one. Who who are the out of everyone we've lost, you know, or or have run out, or whatever you want to whatever you want to classify it as? Who has really gone on to have sustained success after leaving Ottawa? I can think of maybe six to seven players off the top of my head who since 2000 have had success after leaving Ottawa and only maybe three of them with the team that they were traded to or went to first after leaving Ottawa. And are we talking about players that requested a trade out or just in general? Like, just in gen- play- like so, so Mika Zibanejad would be one. Yeah. And, and Mark Stone, I mean, recency bias because it's, it's fairly recent, but I mean, Mark Stone, he's still having obvious success. He became their captain. He's, you know, very good. Those are two players off the top of my head that I could think of immediately. Some of some of the other players haven't worked out. I mean, Matthew Shane went to Columbus for a handful of games and then got moved and uh, hasn't ever been the same type of player. Kyle Turris moved, um, you know, hasn't fit in, hasn't been the same type of player. Eric Carlson, obviously, uh, moved and I see San Jose Sharks fans already, you know, shitting on Eric Carlson each and every game, um, mostly because of the huge contract extension that he was signed by Wilson. But uh, yeah, it, it hasn't worked out for all of them. That's uh, that's very fair to say. Yeah, I mean, here, here's the thing: Chara with Boston, he left in free agency, won oh. a cup in 2011. Probably the the most common one, Hosa. He had like some success in Atlanta, in Atlanta after being traded for Heatley, but then didn't have success until he ended up in Chicago, which was his fourth team. You know, he went to the Cup with Pittsburgh and Detroit, lost both times, and then went to Chicago to win three cups. You know, good on him. But he's so by the time he hits Chicago, he's so far removed from Ottawa that it doesn't matter, in my opinion. You know, Vermette kind of bounces around some teams. Felino has had a really good career in Columbus being captain and whatnot. Like he's had a really solid career. Uh, Emery, he won a cup with Chicago in uh, I think 13 or 15 after leaving the NHL for a bit, you know, that like, so I, you know, you have some distance there, you know, maybe it's obviously it's early. You know how, you don't know how it's going to play out with stone and Carlson, but you know, Redding ended up in the AHL. Fisher ended up, you know, having a good career after leaving Kelly won a cup, Mazzaro's kind of floundered a little bit between, I think, Philly, Tampa, and Boston and was out of the league. Volchinkov went to New Jersey and then Nashville and has been in Russia the last couple of years. Like, realistically, the amount of players that have left Ottawa and have kind of gone out of the league shortly after or after a couple of years, like Heatley was out of the league by like the 15-16 season. And, you know, I, I think that that needs to be reminded is that, yeah, we've, these guys have left, you know, Aline became, was one of the, like probably a top 15 goalie in Ottawa to being an AHL goaltender in St. Louis and Buffalo and Chicago. And, you know, he, he kind of went around the, the, the world a little bit. So as much as it sucks leaving or these players leaving, cause you get attached, most of them just kind of end up floundering around the NHL after leaving Ottawa. Yeah, definitely probably hasn't even been, you know, 50% of them that left and went on to have this huge success that they did have when they were a member of the Senators. So 
in some cases, it's just a matter of having to move on from guys when they reach the end of their prime years. And, you know, the organization, I guess, having an awareness of that player not being the same player that they were and, and the player that fans love and remember. And I think, you know, that's definitely the case when it comes to Eric Carlson, a player who was, you know, injured and um, just wasn't really the same player. He didn't have a good last season in Ottawa and he really wasn't the same, was never the same player so far in San Jose. Um, and you could say, a, you know, a lot of the same things about a number of those players. There's obviously some significant losses mixed in there as well. Um, when we talk about, you know, Stone and Zibanejad, to name a couple, but, uh, you know, Zidane Chara being the biggest loss there because it was a matter of Redden or Chara at the time. So the Senators made the wrong choice there. I think it's it's safe to say that. Yeah, only because Redden ended up leaving like a couple of seasons after because he had a, a, a drug issue, reportedly at least. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I agree. It's just we need to we need to take a little bit of a chill pill when it comes to players leaving and whatnot. But it kind of it bears the question. Here it is. This was posted by the NHL. Top all-time top five. Doesn't matter the position. This is the players they named. I posted it under the podcast. I'm, I mean, obviously, you probably have a different list. Some really good names up here. Some very good names. Who would be your top five? Based off that list alone, uh, I'm going Mark Stone definitely. Daniel Alfredson, uh, you have to have him there. Craig Anderson, I'll go Eric Carlson, Marion Hosa, and I'm going to take Mike Fisher. I liked Fisher, so I'm surprised you didn't say Spezza. Yeah, I, I like Spezza, but at the same time, I. I was tired of the, you know, some of the Spezza drop passes that were made famous and some of his defensive kind of incapabilities. Um, I was ready to move on from Spezza, to be honest, when uh, when he left town. Uh, obviously, early on in his career, he was one of the most skilled players. I mean, he was one of the best players in the league for a couple of years um, when the pizza line was together. So he had his time, but... Uh, but I wouldn't put him on the all-time great list uh, in my mind if we're going top five. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I personally didn't add Stone. Really, uh, Mark my, Stone? Yeah, he's, my, he's Mark, like right up there. He's like he's got to be number uh, one for me. Yeah, see, Mark Stone. I, don't get me wrong. I love Mark Stone. Think he's great. But I think if you were to take, you know, I, I mean, maybe maybe this is just the way I look at it. I look at it as a prime player. You know, if you were to take them in their prime, who would you take? You know, Marion Hosa, I think a prime Marion Hosa is better than a prime Mark Stone. And you can argue that Mark Stone hasn't actually been in his prime yet, which is a fair argument. He's but a late bloomer, yeah. Like, I think if, personally, you know, a prime Marion Hosa over a prime Mark Stone. A prime Danny Heatley over a prime, like, everyone in their prime, you know, I had... Let me see, because I think it's uh, it's the pizza line. The whole line, yep. Um, because, I mean, Alfredson has to be on there. Yeah. I think you're you're kind of crazy. As someone who wasn't actually that big of a fan as Alfredson when he was playing, I will admit that I did not think Alfredson was as good as people thought he was when he was playing. 
going back and rewatching a lot of the games, there was a lot of things that I took for granted that he did early in his career. And then, you know, so I, I will admit that like, I was not a huge, I was not the biggest Daniel Alfredson fan, but going back, you know, I, I see now why everyone loved him. Yeah. I think your perspective on hockey changes when you're younger, you don't watch it like you watch it and analyze it when you're older. Right. So there's definitely nuances and different things in the game that I completely missed watching the game when I was younger versus, you know, watching it now. I have Eric Carlson. So I have the pizza line, Eric Carlson and, and uh, Marion Hosa. Because I think, you know, Spets is the best center we've ever had. Alfredson's the best right winger that we've ever had. And Danny Heatley is the best goal scorer. Ottawa has ever seen and if we kept Heatley if Heatley was not traded I do not believe I believe there's no doubt in my mind he would be he would lead the team in goals he would be the franchise leader in goals no doubt in my mind and then Marion Hossa personally like he had a solid career after leaving Ottawa and I think a prime Hossa you know when he was with Pittsburgh and whatnot would outduel a prime Mark Stone and even either in that day and age, if you go back to the early to mid two thousands to to now, I think Marion Hosa transcends both kind of eras of hockey. Same with Danny Heatley, because Danny Heatley was a power forward, you know, with Rick Nash and whatnot. And I think if they're in today's NHL, where you, you know, you didn't get away with all that hacking and slashing that they were like people were doing to those players back then, you know. I wouldn't be surprised to see those guys be leading like, you know, top five in scoring year in and year out. Yeah. It's, it's tough to say because the game has really, it's evolved and changed so much like Heatley, he, he never had foot speed. So, I mean, that's one thing that you can kind of criticize when it comes to Heatley, but his goal scoring ability, it was the best in the league at the time. I mean, he had 50 goals in, I want to say like 2007, he yeah. was, you know, he was obviously, he was the most elite scorer for at least for one season, maybe even two seasons. So yeah, he was really good in his prime. He just left a bad taste in my mouth. That's why I kind of ignored Danny Heatley on that list. But Mark Stone, I think you're ignoring some of the some of the special abilities that Mark Stone has when it comes to reading the game. I just think he's a special player. He's an elite player today. And I think I don't even think we've seen Mark Stone's prime. I think he's better today watching Vegas play. I think Mark Stone is even better than the Mark Stone version that we had in Ottawa. Agreed. But I think his skating alone, you know, I think defensively, yeah, he's better than Heatley and Hosa. No, no doubt. No doubt in my mind. But unfortunately his all around game between the three players, skating is a huge part. And I think Danny Heatley and Marion Hosa skating was so underappreciated in the time that they played that they would just skate around Stone in today's NHL. I don't know about that because Stone Stone would use his Stone vision and and think about it, and he would be there before Heatley was ever there, and he'd be there. I don't you know. know. I think I think Heatley. <laughs> it, this this is, would be a beautiful thing. Like this is the problem with comparing eras of hockey because yeah, can't. Stone like Stone is so great, but how good? Like he would be very very good in the early two thousands, mid two thousands. But I think a prime Hosa and a prime Heatley in today's NHL with the way the rules are, they would just, you know, skate around players. They would, you know, be physical. They, 
would be able to find the open spots. So yeah, I and and this isn't a knock on Stone. No, Stone is in my top ten. If this was a top ten list, Stone would be there. But I think it has something to do with the fact that Stone was in Ottawa. You know, he came in at twenty two. They both basically he had four and a half years in Ottawa. He was he did really well. If you look, like he is in our top ten in goals. Top ten, he's tenth in goals, ninth in assists, ten in ten in points. Mark Stone, you know, Danny Heatley is in there as well for all of them. He's fifth in goals, tenth in assists, and uh, eighth in points. But I think if Danny Heatley was here for the remainder of his career and didn't get traded, he's top three in all three of those categories. His career did kind of dive off a cliff, though, like relatively quickly. He, he still had a couple of good seasons in him in San Jose, but it really wasn't the Danny Heatley that we had when he was in Ottawa. That was his no. prime for sure. And, I mean, hey, who knows? Maybe if he doesn't get traded from Ottawa, that, that nosedive doesn't happen. It's one of those things where, hey, if this player – like, who knows? Maybe if Turris like, – and that's the thing I say with Zibanejad. If Zibanejad stayed in Ottawa, is Zibanejad the player he is today? Yeah, we'll never know. We can't answer that. You know, so who knows? It's a it's a lot of, you know, who knows or, you know, pick and choose how you want it. Like, you know, who knows? Like, again, maybe if we don't trade Yashin, we don't get to the – we don't trade Yashin, we don't get to the cup in, 0, in 07. Yeah. That's, yeah, I mean, all these hypotheticals, you can go back and say, you know, it's just like – People trying to argue, you have older folks sometimes um, trying to argue that if Gretzky was playing nowadays, he would still light up the league the same way that he did. But if you go back and look at the goals he scored, it was like slap shots along the ice that beat stand-up goaltenders. It's like that wouldn't translate today because the game's evolved so much. So it's impossible to compare. You have to compare Gretzky to his era. You have to compare you know, Danny Heatley to his era. He was, he was the best goal scorer for a couple of seasons. Um, but it's, it really is impossible to say, you know, what that player would look like in today's NHL because the game is just totally different. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's funny how you bring up that argument because I've had that argument with my dad a, a bunch, and, and that's the example. I think goaltending has improved. You know, it's the whole thing like, oh, put Ovechkin, when Gretzky was playing, Ovechkin would be the leading goal scorer every year. He would top 200 points. Sure. Like, it just... But then you, Gretzky wasn't privilege to have the training that players have nowadays to have you know all the the equipment that they play with nowadays to have all of these other things so you have to look at the player versus their peers in that time frame and judge them based on that so Gretzky completely dominated his era he was far and away better than every other player during his era but it's it's absolutely impossible to have that argument I mean you just can't say that Gretzky playing nowadays in today's NHL with today's goaltenders in his prime would dominate the same way that he did before because the goals that went in then would never be goals now. Yeah. I mean, the, this is why the goat debate, like greatest of all time is so, so hard because it's very opinion based and it's very much looking at the era that they played it. You yeah. know, even in it, I, you know, I'll, I'll be the first to say it. I don't, there is no definitive way to prove that Gretzky is the greatest of all time because he did it in an era where having a goals against average below 350 was considered good. Yeah. Like 
if you weren't scoring four goals a game, you were bad offensively. So yeah. it's hard to really argue the whole greatest of all time with so many different factors. Yeah, you had third and fourth liners that scored 30 goals a season. Now, I mean, to measure success in the NHL, it's a 30-goal season, and those are your top-line players. So it, it really is a different uh, day and age in the NHL. And the goaltender position specifically have has evolved so much that it's completely changed the game and, and how it's played and how you beat goaltenders. And, and then you look at like the coaching strategies and the off-season training and the, the evolution of hockey equipment in general. I mean, the game is not what it was yesterday. So, I mean, it, it's not comparable. <laughs> oh, and I mean, hey, this is what I love about top tens and, and opinion pieces because you get to hear others' opinions on things. You know, we have a difference for the most part in our top five sends list. And there are valid arguments on both sides of the table on why you think so and why I think so. Look at except, that. Except for your stone one. That one's not valid at all. <laughs> what do you mean my stone one isn't valid at all? That one is a very valid uh, argument as to why I don't have stone in my top five. Again, top ten, which is still very good, not my top five of all time since. I think Shane is just sour still that Mark Stone decided to leave, and that's why he's not in the top five on his list. <laughs> oh, honestly, here's the thing, though. If I was going to be sour about wanting to leave, I, I wouldn't have Spezza in my top five or Heatley in my top five. Yeah, but it happened so long ago that it's just like it would have hey, no... If you ask, hey, some people still hold a grudge about Heatley, and that was over a decade ago. Yeah. When Yashin came to Ottawa for the outdoor game and the alumni game, people were legitimately worried that fans were going to call like we're going to throw stuff at him. Because they were, were they people thought people still held a grudge with how things went down with him. Yeah, and it couldn't have worked out any better for Ottawa, really. I mean, yeah, like. So no, I don't have Stone in my top five because I think Hosa and Heatley are arguably better wingers than Stone was. No, I'm just I'm just trying to bug <laughs> you about it, but um, but I think it's great. Like these little debates are fun to do. Uh, we've oh, got a game fun. tonight against. Vancouver, and thankfully it's not at 10 o'clock. It's at 8 o'clock, which is odd for them because it'll be like 5 o'clock in Vancouver, I believe. Yeah, it would be. It's weird. Why couldn't you do this on Monday when we were the <laughs> only game on TV? Right? Put it at, put it on primetime. You know, the NHL really doesn't think about these things. Dude, but I don't – like Saturday makes no sense. We have a 1 o'clock game on Saturday, and there's literally no other game between 1 – to seven o'clock, and then there was like seven teams, seven games starting at seven. Like, what are you guys doing? Don't you want to maximize your 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 viewership? Game at one, game at three, game at six, game at seven. Who cares? Don't have seven games starting at seven o'clock. You know, it, it's yet another example of the NHL being a little bit Mickey Mouse compared to some of the other major leagues. They just they don't think about these things that they should think about. But aside from that, we have a game against the Vancouver Canucks tonight. We got blown out 7-1 last game. What are your expectations going into this game, Shane? Um, I don't really have much. Uh, I just <laughs> want them to play harder than they did last game. I don't care. So here's where I'm torn. So I'm in one of my fantasy leagues. I'm playing against uh, a guy – who has Matt Murray as one of his goaltenders. So he hasn't dropped them yet. 
No, so part of me, I mean, he might have, I haven't checked. Part of me has like, okay, you know, I'm okay if Ottawa, like, I'm okay if Ottawa wins, but let in a few goals. <laughs> you get the W, but at least don't get a shutout. Don't get a make, one. There you well, go. Make it a 6-5 like, win in overtime. Here's, but here's also my thing. Just start Hogberg for the next two games. Start Hogberg for the rest of the week. <laughs> get the three wins against the two against Vancouver and then the one against Edmonton. Just start Hogberg. Don't start Murray. Start Hogberg. But no, honestly, <laughs> uh, realistically, I want to win. I want to see how Colin White does. But I don't have any expectations outside of come out angry, pissed off, and play better than you did last game. I, I think they're going to come out with a fire lit underneath them, and I think we're going to see the best performance from start to finish of the season tonight. That's my expectations because I think ultimately I think they hit a rock bottom last game. I really do. I think, it, and it's okay to get that rock bottom over with early on in the season. And I'm not saying they won't have you know stumbles and bad games, um, but I don't think they're going to have a stretch of five games that were that bad this year with that much um, you know demoralizing losses in there. You have that one against Winnipeg where they should have won, and they there was a couple against Winnipeg where they could have potentially won. You look at the possession numbers and they weren't really that bad. Even in the seven-one loss to Vancouver, Ottawa still had fifty percent of the possession of the puck in that game. So it really shouldn't have been a 7-1 game. It looks worse than it was, and Murray was to blame for a lot of that. But also, you know, DJ Smith's coaching decisions have been somewhat head-scratching. What I'm looking forward to this game is just seeing, like you said, that effort level being much better. I think Ottawa is going to come out with that fire lit underneath them, and I don't think they're going to take their foot off the gas, at least in this game and I see them coming away with two points. Here's the thing. Vancouver was literally coming off like a 7-3 beatdown from Montreal the game before. And they were pissed off, which was fair. Like, they should have been. And I expect Ottawa to come out after that 7-1 beatdown from Vancouver pissed off. And part of me, I'm happy that we lost 7-1 to Vancouver and not 7-1 to Toronto or Montreal. Oh, same here. I would never hear <laughs> the end of it being, you know, where I live in you know, close to the heart of enemy territory, I would never hear the end of a 7-1 beatdown from the Leafs. Yeah, so I mean, hey, some positives. Hopefully we'll have a, a better game tonight and, you know, a better game Thursday because we're right back at it Thursday night at 10 o'clock uh, as well to finish off the three-game stand. Then we're off for two days and back in Sunday night against Edmonton continuing this road stand. It's uh, a lot of hockey and not a lot of time. And that's, you know, that's going to be the case this season with the compressed 56 game schedule. It's going to be a lot of hockey and a lot to talk about. And that's why we run, you know, well over the hour mark, basically every episode now where uh, we are trying to stretch the content uh, before the season. But uh, now we're in where we have so many storylines and so many things to be following that there's a lot to talk about. Yeah. And I mean, hey, maybe, maybe we get to the point where, we start doing, you know, two-hour episodes and breaking them in half. Doing one hour and then another hour and posting them both on YouTube separately. I don't know. Maybe that's something we have to look at. But right now, we will end this episode. Um, thank you all for listening. Thank you for again for Steve Warren, uh, host of the Steve Warren Project and Sends Nation podcast. Fantastic. If you haven't had a chance to listen to it, if you came in late, uh, you can finish up to the – once it's over, head on over to the first half hour of the episode to take a listen to that. Again, guys, subscribe to our YouTube channel, 
would very much appreciate it. Help support, get our YouTube channel up and going a little bit more. We'll have a new giveaway by Customized Sports starting in February 1st, so you'll want to keep an eye on that. And again, you know, we're affiliated with uh, uh, Hockey Canada, Lids, uh, Fanatics, and NHL Shop. Rep your favorite team while supporting your favorite Sense podcast. Um, and, hey, uh, voting for the Faces Magazine Top Sports podcast ends in about three days, four days now. Uh, so definitely head on over to them to vote for the Sense Hour. We'd greatly appreciate it. And you can follow us, Sends underscore hour, YouTube, uh, Twitter, and fa- uh, Instagram, Sends Hour podcast on uh, YouTube. And myself, Shane underscore Ryan 97, and Derek at Dealey 075. And remember, check out his articles coming out all the time. Fantastic work. Derek, anything to add before we, uh, we head off? That's about it. I'm looking forward to the game tonight and looking forward to interacting with everyone as usual on Twitter. Yeah, I mean, we'll, uh, we'll be back live uh, this weekend to recap the, the next two uh, Vancouver games and prime you up for the week to come that has our first meeting with, uh, with our you know, highway rival two hours down the road, Montreal Canadiens. We have a two-game, three-game set, I believe, against them with one being in Montreal and then being in Ottawa. So we'll prime you up for the week that follows this weekend, so you'll want to stay tuned. Have a great one, guys. We will catch you back here with a brand-new episode Monday.